Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Let Me Tell You. Now, here's Joan Hamburg. All right, well, you know we aired my conversation with Daniel Silva on my Sunday show, and it starts at 2 o'clock. But once I get Daniel, I can't stop because there's so much I want to hear about and know. How does he do this? Well, for the rest of this interview, straight ahead. I always want Daniel Silver, the great New York Times bestselling author of at least 24 novels, to write faster. And when finally we got a call that there was a new book called The Cellist, I can't tell you how excited I was. And how many people said, oh, put me on the list to get the book. I said, go buy the book. The guy needs a few bucks from you. Go take care of it. And... This is truly his new book. All the books have been bestsellers everywhere. And this one, every time I read one, I say, no, this is extraordinary. But this book is so now, it, it's like he just dropped into our lives telling us about everything that's going on, what's going on in the West today, giving us the whole inside deal, dirty money. At Russia, the anxiety about democracy, about what has happened during the Trump time. And of course, thrilling, there's always appointments with death with Daniel's characters. So Daniel, this book takes place in London. And amazing, because you always go everywhere when you do your books, but because of the pandemic, you probably couldn't go to a lot of locations. No, this is um, the second book that I've been desk bound. My last book was set at the Vatican, or largely at the Vatican. I'd hoped to go to Rome to finish that book uh, last year. wasn't able to do that. Uh, fortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm very familiar with, with the um, the places that in which the book is set. Um, it's set uh, um, to a large extent in Geneva, a city I know well. By the way, I would have loved to have spent a couple of weeks um, in Geneva writing. Um, it, it, there's a big climactic sequence in the French ski resort of Courcheval, uh, where I have, I've, I've spent time as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an aspect of, of, of research and writing and work that I, I, I really do miss. Um, I am hopeful of some, of some travel and some research in, in the near future, but I, I have to say I'm getting a little, a little edgy about the, the Delta variant. So we'll see how that goes. I'm talking to Daniel Silver, the cellist, his brand new novel. And of course, we find out right in the beginning that there has been a murder, a poisoning, and it's Victor Orlov. He was once one of the richest men in Russia, and he's was no slouch 
living in exile in London. His problem was that the president of Russia didn't want him around anymore. And even though he was very closely guarded, you would think nothing could happen to this guy. They got him. And that's where it all starts. And Gabriel Alain sort of owed him because he had saved his life. And Gabriel is one of your wonderful characters. So tell me a little bit about the story of Victor and Gabriel and how this all started rolling along. Well, Victor makes his um, debut uh, many, many years ago in a book called The Defector. And he has appeared in, I guess, two or three books since then. And without spoiling too much of The Defector, he surrenders a, a gigantic oil company to the Kremlin in order to get Gabriel out of Russia. Gabriel and his wife and, and, and Mikhail Abramov, another um, a member of Gabriel's operational team. And so the, Gabriel really, really owes his life to, to Victor Orloff. And, and Victor has worked with Gabriel on a number of, of important operations. Uh, and it, it appears that Victor has been poisoned uh, by a, a prominent investigative reporter uh, who works on, on a, uh, a newspaper that he owns. And that the, the operational working theory inside British intelligence is that this woman is a is a is actually a Russian intelligence officer who has penetrated Victor's uh, inner circle and, 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 and killed him. Gabriel does not accept that, that proposition. He sets out to find the truth, um, conducts a very Gabriel thorough investigation, um, and soon finds himself in a desperate race uh, to stop an attack uh, that would plunge the United States into absolute political turmoil and leave Russia unchallenged on the world stage. And so it's a, it is a fast paced, entertaining summer beach read that's filled with art, music and, you know, corrupt Russian oligarchs and dirty European bankers. But it it deals with a very serious and, and, uh, you know, incredibly timely topic. And that is the influence of Russian money, the corrupting influence of Russian money on the institutions of the West and upon our democracy itself. And, you know, the private group, the things that Gabriel Alan finds, you know, they're true, right? Is the Hayden group. <laughs> you know what? As I, as I like to do at the end of my book, I point out what's, what's true and, and, and what's not true. Uh, so what are some of the true things in this novel? Um, truth number one, Vladimir Putin is quite likely one of the richest people in the world. Um, truth number two, um, he actually doesn't really hold a great deal of that wealth personally. It is being held uh, for him by a trusted um, inner circle of, 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 of oligarchs and old friends. Um, truth number three, uh, Vladimir Putin decided very early on after seizing power in Russia that that um, he was going to, um, in order to to make prop up uh, um, uh, his own position, in order to um, help you know regain Russia's lost empire, regain um, Russian power, that the way to do that was to destabilize the West. 
and he began working on that right away. And so he borrowed a, a, a playbook of the old KGB, active measures, disinformation, propaganda, subversion. Uh, but he has a powerful new weapon in his arsenal because of the, the oil wealth of, of the Russian state, and that is money. And they decided very early on that they were going to use money as a weapon to destabilize the West. Um, and as I was beginning the book, uh, the British government released a, a, a really landmark white paper called the Russia Report. And to their credit, the British government acknowledged that Russian money had completely contaminated and undermined the British political system. That Russian money had completely contaminated the British financial industry. That British bankers and accountants and lawyers were witting or unwitting Russian assets in this war on the West. And the British government uh, acknowledged that it missed the signs of this. If they'd been reading my book, they might have they might have noticed because I've been writing about this for some time. And I think that if we were to undertake a similar study, we would we would see the, the corrupting influence of, of Russian money in our in our own situation right now. Yeah, and as you say, when people think about weapons and Russia, you point out in this unbelievable book that it's it's really money and well, that's what's it, affecting it, it, all of us too. As I, but no I, one I write in the book like that, that until they read right. you. As I write in the book, you know, a, a nuclear bomb can be used once, but Russia, uh, money is a weapon that can be used over and over again with no fallout, um, and, and um, it leaves it leaves you know very few traces, um, and they have. In, in in the UK, for example, the British government found that that you know an incredibly large number of the House of Lords that were were either openly doing business with the Russians or secretly doing business with the Russians. So they're co- corrupted, they're compromised, and that's what the Russians are doing. They are they are corrupting and compromising people in key positions in in order to get them to do their bidding and to make us lose faith in our system. They are, one of the other tools that they're using their money for is to fund um, uh, destabilizing politicians in these countries, people who, who, who want to blow up the system, people who want to blow up NATO, uh, people who want to um, um, undermine um, uh, the, the European Union. Um, people like Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump said very clearly that that he wanted the United States out of out of NATO. Can you imagine that? And so why why wouldn't the Russians, um, um, you know, support a politician like that? And they, they 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 did it in Europe, and then they did it in the United States. But Putin understood this: the power of money as a weapon from Absolutely. the beginning. But Absolutely. Do you think you talk about the fact that? you know, undermining our democracy and any democracy, that for Putin, behind it all, is this desire for vengeance, for getting back. But I didn't understand what the vengeance was. The vengeance is the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, as uh, um, He blames the United States for the, for the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, and remember that that you know Russia was one republic in the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, so they lost 
14 um, um, pieces of their country went their separate ways when, 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 um, or most of them did. Ukraine, you know, a key part of the old Soviet Union, independent country, or the Baltic states. You know, Putin famously called the collapse of the, of the Soviet Union the greatest geopolitical disaster of the 20th century. And it, 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 it can't under, understate the degree to which he wants his empire back. Um, he knows that he is unlikely that he will ever be able to um, recapture the old um, Soviet empire territorially. But that doesn't mean that he can't um, be the dominant player over, over all of the lands of the old Soviet Union. And that's, that is what he, he is trying to do. Um, and, you know, NATO is a, 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 a stumbling block, is, is, a, is a restraining influence on, on that ambition. And he would love nothing more than to make NATO go away or to weaken NATO. And, you know, one of the new – one of the things that I write about in the, in the author's note of the book and, and one of the new revelations in, in the brand new uh, uh, book by Carol Lennon and Phil Rucker of the Washington Post is, is that if, if Donald Trump had been reelected, the United States was out of NATO. He was going to withdraw from NATO, period. Putin is always talking about the fact that he doesn't have any real goods. He doesn't really have any money. He has a little apartment and everything. But that's not true, right? That's not true. That's not true. Bill Browder, the American financier, says that that he is the richest man in the world and and that we're talking about um, not just a little richer than than, um, uh, Jeff Bezos, but maybe two or three times as rich as Jeff Bezos. I'm not so sure about that, but there is an extraordinary amount of money. And I would say that with the exception of a a very small bit of it, it's all hidden outside uh, Russia. It is. It has all been um, laundered and exported to the West. I'm sitting in my my hotel room on Columbus Circle, looking out over Central Park and, and Manhattan, and I assume that Vladimir Putin owns a, a fair amount of property in this city, not under his name, of course, but through through fronts um, and shell corporations. We allow anonymous purchases of, of property in the United States. I assume that he's a major property owner in London, a uh, major property owner in the United States. He has investments in American companies, uh, investments around the world, all done for him by uh, very skilled money launderers, many of whom are British American. They don't know, necessarily know who they're laundering money for, but but he's got a, a network of people who do his bidding, and, and therefore they are wittingly or unwittingly helping him to undermine the West. I'm talking to Daniel Silver, whose brand new book, The Cellist. Uh, let me just ask you, and it, I mean, which was amazing to me, that the book was real. It was everything that happened here was in the book from the riots on January 6th to all this stuff. And how did you know that before (laughs) when you're in the middle of writing the book or almost finished, you can't look into a crystal ball. How did you know there was going to be violence and all of the other things that you wrote about in a very difficult time constraint? Let's, let's just say that, um, I feared the worst 
as I as I started this book last summer. I knew that democracy and the fate of democracy was going to be the story of 2021. I just feared the worst. Um, I'm I'm very plugged in in Washington. My wife is a is a journalist for for CNN. Uh, she broke some major news this week on this front. I, I was hearing some dark, dark stuff. Um, obviously, I could not have, have um, foreseen how bad it was actually going to be. But I kept I kept one eye on the domestic situation here in the United States as I was working on the book. That said, I did not plan to include the Capitol insurrection and the inauguration of, of a, a new American president in the book. I, I did not plan to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm on January 6th, I'm, I'm, you know, in late stages of, of my typescript. I'm working towards the ending. I'm on deadline. Uh, I do not have a TV in my office. The computer that I write on does not have an internet connection. I don't want to be interrupted. And my wife calls me and says, you you got to go upstairs and turn on the TV. I says, I, I don't want to. I'm writing. Yeah. I'm, I'm working. He says, go turn on the television. I go up to the kitchen and I see that an American president has, uh, you know, incited an, an attack on a, on a co-equal branch of government. Thousands of people rampaging through the temple of American democracy. Now, I stood there in horror uh, watching the television late into the into the morning or, you know, into night and early morning when we got the election safely certified. And when I woke up, I just resolved that I'm, I have to write about this. I must write about it. So this. what did you do? It, it, you it, wrote it, a whole it, new it, book? Exactly. I did. I wrote. I can't believe I wrote, that. I threw out, I threw out my existing ending that, that I was planning to write. Um, so I wrote a whole new second half of the book. So I got that finished, but it, it, it the problem is, is it didn't match the first half of the book, uh, what I'd written. So I basically had to, to once I got the, the, the new back half written, I really had to rewrite the entire book again in a period of about six weeks. Then I, I, I did a sort of a, uh, a, a second draft in, in, in TypeScript after handing in. I, I made major, major changes and revisions and rewrites all through the production process. Um, I finished, I think, the last set of corrections on June 1st. Uh, and the last change I made was I dedicated it, the book, to the, the men and women of the, of, the, of the Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police Force who defended our democracy on that day, uh, Jan- uh, uh, January 6th. And, and you know, for all, their, for all their valor and courage in, in the face of this blood thirsty mob that attacked the Capitol, this bloodthirsty, violent, hateful, racist mob that attacked the Capitol. We lost the Capitol, okay? The Capitol fell to an invading force. They did not prevent the fall of the Capitol. The, 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 the insurrectionists uh, interrupted the certification of an American election. Um, you cannot overstate the importance of that in our history. And of course, we can't really ask you to look in your crystal ball. I think I'm afraid (laughs) to even know. But many people, this has sort of found its place and are forgetting what really happened. But in terms of our real democracy and our future, is this just an immediate reaction to a Trump thing or is this going deeper and darker? I guess, are you asking, is this the end or is it only the beginning? Is that what you're asking? 
um, my fear is that it's it's only the opening act. I hope to goodness that I am wrong. Um, but the other thing I, I want to say about the events of January, that as bad as the insurrection was, uh, to my mind, the inauguration was worse. You know, it, 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 the television cameras did not really capture what it was like in Washington to have 45,000 troops on the streets, to have the city basically under under virtual military occupation, to have these miles and miles of these fences, concentric rings of fences with, with concertina wire all throughout the center of the city, uh, to have a green zone in, in the middle of Washington and a red zone in the middle of Washington. It, it was appalling. And, uh, you know, some of the, the threat stream that, they, that, that the guys were seeing, Secret Service, who was in charge of the operation, made it into print. I mean, we were talking about snipers, um, multiple mass shootings, car bombs. These are the things that they thought were going to happen on Inauguration Day or could happen on Inauguration Day. We now know from, from uh, Phil Rucker and, and Carol Lenning that Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was afraid basically of an invasion of, he called it, Nazis in brown shirts uh, coming across the bridges into Washington. That, that he said, we're going to put a ring of steel around this city to make sure that nothing happens. I mean, this is this is through the looking glass. This is off the charts bad, and and the that is the, that that is where the, the novel. I'm hope I'm not giving too much away, but that is the climactic uh, scene of the novel takes place on inauguration day under those under that under that threat and those conditions. I'm talking to Daniel Silver, and this new novel, The Chalice, really incorporates everything. Our beloved characters, many of them, are back. There are new characters. There's murder, assassinations, money, politics. It has everything, including what's happening in our own country today. Now, Daniel, even this book, you wrote pencil on a legal pad, or have you switched? <laughs> no, I write in longhand still. I write in longhand still. That doesn't mean that every... Every word that I that I write during the day has has been written in longhand. But what I do is I always start in in longhand and write that way, and then at a certain point I make the transition over to the to the computer, um, type in what I've written in longhand, and invariably out of that flows you know original um, computer generated copy. But I just I love to write in longhand. I love the quiet of, of longhand, the pace of longhand. I lie on the floor when, I, when I'm writing. Um, it just it just fits the way I work. And now that this book is out and probably going to top the list any day, are you on another one or are you giving yourself a little break? No, I, I, my habit is to, you know, I have this problem where I, I can just tinker and tinker and tinker on a book. Um, I also have a tight deadline. So it, you know, I try to get the book as perfect, as perfect as possible, but invariably I, you know, have regrets about certain scenes and I wish I could have done things better. The only way for me to make that sort of process stop is to, is to get going on a new book. So I generally start working on the next book and the, the, the very next day after handing in the final set of oh. collections. Uh, um, so I've already started on the new book. And Gabriel and all these characters, these extraordinary musicians that you find along the way, are they just in your head? 
Do you clip things? I, it's because the books are so detailed, so extraordinary. Where does yeah, it all I, come from? If I know I, you I, once told me you don't outline. I don't outline anything. I carry the story around in my head. I I have been told by my, my loved ones and closest friends that I have a problem with preoccupation, that I, I, I sometimes don't listen to what people are saying because I've got a whole other world going on in my head all the time. And so I, I carry these characters around with me. A technique that I use is I, I rarely sort of sit and, and write a scene without having thought about a scene uh, for, for, you know, a, at, at night or or, or uh, during an afternoon sort of lying and staring at the scene. I like, I, I do a lot of visualization and I want it to come to life, to life in my imagination before I try to express it with words. And so I often will really sit and, and think about a scene and visualize it and turn it into a, a bit of a movie inside my head before I, I try to, uh, you know, produce the words and the, and the, and the, the text to, 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 to put it into print. Well, I mean, what a ride I just came Thank off you. of. Thank you. In the chalice, dirty banks, dirty money, rogue nations, people you, you wouldn't even imagine living in worlds that are so foreign to so many of us. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's my favorite. Anytime favorite I was bereft the during the pandemic, only afraid you wouldn't be able to do another book. No, no. I, 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 you know what? I was, I was, I was shelter in place before shelter in place was cool. You know, most writers lead a pretty isolated life. Um, I, I certainly do. So, um, you know, except for the, the, inability to travel to the places I'm writing about. The pandemic didn't really change much about my, my writing schedule. It was, you know, obviously walked around with a heavy heart all the time and very worried and very careful. Um, but um, I'm, I, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm glad I had uh, a book to escape into um, during the pandemic. Well, thank you again. By the way, I know your wife, who is now at CNN and doing incredible work, how are the children? Are the twins anyone interested in writing? <laughs> no, no. You know, I think that that um, you know, living with a writer, I, I think that you know, there there are there are some you know examples of of, of uh, children who follow in their, their father's footsteps. Obviously, um, I don't think either one of mine would would, would go down that road. Um, my son is uh, starting graduate school at Georgetown in the fall, and my daughter is a business analyst and business consultant here in New York. They see your daddy lying on the floor every day. By yeah, the way, want anything to thank do you again. Regards to all, and okay, I okay. can't wait to thank talk to you soon. Take care. 